We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Uh, this is from Noda. Noda okay. In, in Charlotte. Happy Hop, holidays. Hop, and Roll is one of my favorites from them. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's a good one, too. But, yeah, this is uh, this is one of their, their holiday ones, obviously. Super hoppy, um, but super tasty. So I'm uh, busting it out since I'm dragging a little bit, but it'll everything will be good. I got a double high-density hop mm. charge Mylar bags, which is Fancy. they call Mylar bags because that's the – the the hops are vacuum packed in mylar bags, kind of like mylar balloons. Um, and high density hop charges, some proprietary thing that other half came up with to like add tons and tons of hops. Um, and they doubled it, and mm. it's delicious. <laughs> I think you're gonna like the present that I got for you for Christmas this year. Oh boy! As as I mentioned the other day, you'll definitely get yours, Ethan. Well see how that goes for you but <laughs> how how is uh how is the one-armed freak doing i'm doing fine <laughs> i'm just trying to keep my keep it elevated right now is it in uh, a sling yeah yeah it's in a sling yeah tell tell everybody quick before we get into the intro since we got our guest coming soon okay uh i broke my elbow on saturday uh i was ice skating and I caught an edge in the ice and uh, went flying and uh, landed on my elbow in a very unfortunate way. It's a pretty big break. I actually should have brought the x-ray over and I should have shown it, but uh, but it's, it's too far away and I'm all comfortable now on the couch, so that's not going to happen. <laughs> it's, it's too much of a fucking project to move anywhere when you have a sling. Uh, so, so no, I'm not going to go grab it, but it's a pretty, it's a pretty big break. It's, it's called, so like the official term is displacement. And uh, it's it's the, the bone is displaced enough that uh, they need to do surgery. I'm getting surgery on Friday morning um, and they're going to pin the bone back together because mm-hmm. if, if they didn't do that, there's heal on its own. That's how that's how big the displacement is. Um, oh, and I was on a date. That's, I guess, one of the more important details. <laughs> uh, now, thankfully, this was not a first date. I have seen this girl a number of times. We have a really nice rapport. Everything is really cool. She's been super supportive. Um, so I was embarrassed, and she told me I was stupid for being embarrassed. Um, <laughs> and I like it when a woman tells me I'm stupid. So that's just another point in her favor. Um, so so that's basically the story. I'm getting surgery Friday morning, and, and because of that, I'm drinking water tonight. I'm not allowed to have alcohol uh, until then. So um, Oh, wow. Yeah, surgery is a huge pain in the ass. I had the pre-op uh, 
like preparation appointment today with a nurse practitioner? Oh no. Oh no. He's totally frozen. <laughs> That's a good face. Okay, there we go. You're back. I froze. Yeah, yeah. he froze. I closed I closed the internet. This is the the computer is the same way it always fucking is. Anyways, what did, well, I don't know what I was saying when you I pre app with a nurse practitioner. Oh yeah, and there's just so much. There's just so much shit that you have to like do to prep for surgery and to like uh be ready for it and all the things. And I mean, get, don't get me wrong. Modern medicine is amazing. Like I'm fucking grateful, but uh it is pretty wild like how much uh how many little things you have to do uh for surgery. So that's that story. First broken bone. <laughs> yeah, my first broken bone ever, age 32. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's, so. that's amazing. I uh-huh. know, I know what you're talking about with the surgery. I had two close reduction uh, elbow surgeries in three days to try to fix that bent uh, bone that I told you that I had. Oh my god! In three days, I don't yep. remember that. Two times, three days. I went under both times. I couldn't even tell you what the surgery was about. You know, outside of the fact that they were trying to straighten the bone. But um, yep, seventh grade. Uh, yeah. That was Holy it. shit. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's rough. Oh, here we go. Gabrielle. Hey, how are you today? It's actually Gabrielle. Sorry. Gabrielle. Uh, um, you can blame you can blame my accent on that. Oh, don't worry about it. Um <laughs> Oh, a fellow eater on the podcast too. I'm Ethan sorry. loves to do no, that. No, 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 no. That that's like a feature. Everyone there Ethan gets great feedback when he eats on the podcast. I'm sorry. I just needed a snack because um I realized I didn't have dinner and uh there's sorbet in our freezer. So I just Ooh. it's like very warm in our apartment. So I'm just uh, and you knew you were going to, you knew you were going to come on and we were just going to hit you with all these hard questions. Oh like, yeah. I, I needed, gotta be, I needed I gotta to be like cool up. up first. Exactly. <laughs> fuel up and cool down. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking the time today to chat. We're in the long, dark baseball season as we refer to it. And um, we're, we're definitely always looking for topics to chat about. And uh, you uh, cover two, uh, well, the Phillies are my favorite National League team. Uh, we're we're all Yankee fans, but um, and then you are um, obviously the biggest uh, Red Sox fan slash you cover the team and uh, you know do do a really good job with it too. Uh, definitely Thank respect you. your work and um, so we're we're super happy to have you on and talk a little baseball and have some fun here and um, hopefully not worry too much about that upcoming cba oh don't bring it up again oh no <laughs> we're all dreading it <laughs> oh yeah my my sources tell me 99 percent lockout yeah. uh, not good and that's Count- and that's sources from the gm winter meeting so i t- i would take it pretty seriously um but yeah so Classic. yep callan callan just sent us a text message when the athletic first published their uh kind of per- the the owner's counter proposal and just started laughing it was like yep there's going to be a lockout <laughs> like oh crap yeah the only literally the only person so um fan sided mlb insider was at the meetings he said that he asked literally 50 people if there would be a lockout or not and the only person who said that there wouldn't be a lockout in december was the person who said there'd be a lockout in spring training so it's technically <laughs> they're all saying lockout they're just saying lockout at different times yeah uh it's so it's so sad like baseball is such a great sport and i feel like is this is the only sport where like this could happen where 
I don't know. It just, it just seems, it just seems so uneven on both sides. Like neither side is close to an agreement. And I, I just, I don't understand it. How can, how can a sport so beautiful as baseball be in such trouble with their labor agreement when like the NFL is in, you know, who knows any day is going to have somebody die on the field from how violent the sport is. And they're like, Oh yeah, we get along, you know, really well. And, and uh, yeah, we'll just, we'll just go out and play. Like, I I just don't get it. I I don't understand how baseball can't figure it out. Baseball to me is like, I mean, first of all, baseball literally was America's pastime for decades. And then they were just like, you know what? You can have it to like the NBA and NFL. Like it is the most absurd. I mean, to, to literally use wordplay, they punted. And that's yeah. about the extent of my football knowledge. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I it's very baffling to me, especially like with Twitter, because you guys are on Twitter. I'm on Twitter. Twitter is basically market research. And any company or brand or organization that isn't using Twitter as free market research. I mean, think about like, you know, those review, like peer review groups that like, you know, cereal companies would use when they were testing out a new cereal and you would put a bunch of people in a room and you would have them try something and then you would ask them what they think. And that's literally what Twitter is. Like Twitter is a place where I literally today I was like, does anybody else put cayenne pepper and cinnamon in their coffee? And a bunch of people were like, hell yes, I do. And a bunch of people were like, you're absolutely freaking insane. (laughs) But the point is like, you can ask people anything on Twitter and most of the time, at least one person will respond. And you're literally seeing a free platform where hundreds of millions of people in real time are telling you exactly what they think. And because, and this is for better or for worse, but because you can be anonymous on Twitter, you are getting it oftentimes extremely unfiltered. And I know because a lot of those people make accounts to be nasty to me, but the point being like people are emboldened by Twitter in the best and the worst ways to just be extremely unfiltered you would think that mlb would be like all right we have tens of millions of fans live tweeting games live tweeting the off season live tweeting awards live tweeting the upcoming cba free agency everything that's my dog in the background live tweeting the hell out of everything baseball telling you exactly what they like what they don't like what they want if you are choosing not to then just at least partially try to meet your baseball fan base halfway you have only yourself to blame like baseball fans are like hey i live in arkansas there are no mlb teams in anywhere near me and i'm blacked out of like seven different mlb teams like you should probably do something about that you cannot wonder why baseball doesn't i mean baseball had a good year but just factually speaking compare baseball now to baseball 15, 20 years ago. And it's just not even close in terms of how much it grips the country. And, you know, the, the numbers of, you know, like here's a perfect example, very weird example, but sticks with me all the time. So in 2004, last year, the Montreal Expos, they posted under a million fans in home attendance, right? For like the next decade plus, no team has this problem until, do you guys want to guess? 2019, guess which team it was? Indians? No. Tampa? Marlins. Ah. The Marlins become the first team since the Expos to post under a million fans in home attendance 
in a major U.S. city in a state full of baseball fans. And the Marlins and the Rays combined under 2 million in home attendance. <laughs> oh, man. I covered a triple A. I covered the Red Sox triple A team this year, and they regularly outdid the Tampa Bay Rays in home attendance at their minor league ballpark that has a capacity of less than 10,000 people. The Rays won a hundred baseball games for the first time in franchise history in the regular season and a minor league team that opened a brand new ballpark in a city that they had never been in before did better in home attendance in various games than the American league East division title holders who went to the world series last year. Yeah. Holy cow. I had, I didn't realize that. Also, where did, where did Pawtucket move? Where's their new? So they're in Worcester mass now. Um, So it's still equidistant from Fenway park. Um, You're just taking a different highway to get there. Um, Slightly more convenient because the highway takes you literally right to Fenway park. But yeah, so I was covering them at their beautiful new ballpark, which is called Polar Park. And uh, they would literally have games like Chris Hale when he was rehabbing here. Games were sold out. You're selling out like 9,000 plus seats. The Rays are av- were averaging, I think, something like five. There were games where they were having like 5,000 people in attendance. Yeah, I think I've only seen that at the Syracuse uh, Chiefs ballpark twice. Uh, once when, I guess three times, when Strasburg and Harper were coming up through the Nat system were the only times they sold out or yeah. way, way back, back in the day when Deion Sanders was, was coming up, say Deion, yeah. um, they would sell out the stadium. I mean, even, even at the the leaked rumor that Deion was going to be playing for the AAA affiliate, uh, they sold out one night, but that that's it. That's, a, that's amazing. I didn't realize it was that passionate outside of, outside of Boston. That was, that's nuts. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think part of it is that the Red Sox are, I mean, Fenway is such an expensive experience that, for a lot of people, you know, if you can go 40 minutes down the road to a beautiful brand new ballpark where you can go for like $15, $20, it's a very appealing alternative. Also, minor league baseball is just such a more intimate, like kind of like, in my opinion, what baseball should feel like setting of like, it's just small and friendly and like much less, much less elitist. Like, for example, the way that they constructed um, polar park is the DCU level, which is kind of like the club level where the fancier, like the balcony seats are. Cause it's, it's only, yeah, it's only, I mean, it's only two, two floors. Um, there's like the ground concourse, you know, with like 30 rows of seats. And then there's like the upper deck that level is where like the executive suites are and the, you know, fancy dining room and the press box and everything. But if you have a pat, if you are a ticket holder of any, any seat on the second level of the ballpark, you can walk through the entire thing. And the reason that they designed it that way was because they wanted it to not be an elitist setting. Um, and that's Janet Marie Smith, who also helped with the redesign of Fenway park, uh, Dodger stadium, Oriole park at Camden yards. Like she's had her hands in some of those most beautiful ballparks in the game. Um, and she was one of the consultants who was helping with the design of this gorgeous ballpark that like Pedro Martinez literally said when he came for opening day, this is aside from the capacity, of course, this is a major league caliber ballpark. It's absolutely beautiful. Sorry. I'm like, I loved it there. It was great. They had fireworks every Friday night after home games. (laughs) It's awesome. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you have both. It's a good thing for the minor league teams. Most of them aren't doing that, but it's a good thing for a minor league team like the the Woo Sox 
it's bad when like one of the teams, I know the Rays are a big market team, but it's bad when a, I mean, a small market team, but it's bad when one of the best teams in terms of play is doing worse than a minor league team. Like that's just as very unbalanced. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be happening. I mean, I could throw this question to any of us on here. Like what, what's the disconnect then? Because like, okay, I, I can think of one thing, the, the stadium, you know, isn't as appealing in Tampa, but you know, outside of that, I can't imagine tickets for raise games are, you know, like you said, as expensive oh, as, oh. as they are. Do you want the yeah. inside scoop? Okay. Yes. <laughs> so my dad's best friend is from the East coast. He's a, he's a lifelong Red Sox fan, but he has lived in St. Pete where the, where, uh, what's it called? The trop. Mm-hmm. Um, he's lived in St. Pete for like decades. So he's also a Rays fan now, which is very conflicting for him during things like the ALDS <laughs> and stuff. But, um, I've known this guy my whole life. His name is literally Ray. He is Ray, the Rays <laughs> fan. It's, it's perfect. He is a Rays season ticket holder. I would love for you to guess because you guys are Yankees fans. So, you know, your, your ballpark's one of the most expensive in baseball. My ballpark's one of the most expensive in baseball. I would love it if you would guess each of you how much Ray pays. He sits on the first baseline behind home plate. How much do you think he pays per seat per game to be a season ticket holder in some of the best seats? I mean, best seats at the trop, but some of the best seats to like factually of where you would be at any ballpark. How much do you think he pays per seat per game? Because of your buildup, I'm going to go at what I hope isn't embarrassingly low and say like six bucks. A little bit higher than that. <laughs> okay, I was okay. going to say. Oh, Ethan froze. Callan, go ahead. Yeah, he froze. Uh, I was going to go with, I was going to go with 17, but now bump it up to 47. Oh God, no, you were closer the first time. <sighs> Ethan, what about you? What do you think? Uh, I was going to say 20. Am I not frozen? I was going to say You're 20. You're not frozen now. Um, Okay. It's third. He pays $13 per seat per game. Oh, holy oh, fuck. Man. Holy like, cow. It's literally a major league ballpark. He's paying what I would pay for like a beer at Fenway. And that's like the <laughs> mid price of a beer. Like the parking at Fenway park is equivalent to like four of Ray's tickets at in his seats like oh my god they'll be like oh yeah fenway park cash only 50 dollars parking the parking at fenway park you know and like the bleacher seats at fenway if you're lucky are like 45 dollars before ticket fees and everything so you know yeah the <laughs> it's for one thing like it says a lot too about the um, and i don't want to turn this into like a be like let's all shit on the rays because that's not it um <laughs> but my my thing with the rays is that in terms of like how they operate they're I actually think they're bad for baseball. And I don't mean that in like an insulting way. Like I don't like them. I have a lot of respect for their on-field play, but the way that that organization runs is bad for baseball because they make other teams think that they can replicate what they're doing, but they're actually the exception to the rule. Yes. Like if you look at a team, a low budget team, like the Pittsburgh pirates or the Oakland A's, I mean, the Oakland A's are a little bit more towards the middle than the race who are at the bottom of the budget barrel. But if like you look at the like smaller budget teams around baseball and none of them are doing as well as the Rays. And the other thing is that the Rays, like for all of their success in the last few years, have never run, never won a world series. And for them, it seems to be good enough to get to the world series or even win the division, win a hundred games. 
and then just keep bolstering their farm system. (laughs) And you see that because like Blake's now pitched game six of the world series last year. And then they traded him to the San Diego Padres for more prospects. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that part of that was due to the situation with Kevin cash, because that was just awkward as hell. But the point remains like you traded a Cy Young pitcher right after he was like absolute nails for you in a high stakes must win world series game against one of the richest teams in baseball. He's dominating them. You pull him, you lose the game and the series. And your solution is to then get guys, trade him away for guys who aren't big league ready, like anyone else. And you see this with the Red Sox, anyone else would be like, okay, so we got all the way to game six of the world series. Clearly we just need a few more pieces to win the world series next year. But that's not what they did. And I know this because the Red Sox won the division three years in a row between 2016 and 2018. And every year that they would win the division, they got closer and deeper into the postseason. And what did Dave Dombrowski do? He added more pieces. You know, in 2016, they won the division. They got swept out of the first round of the division series. So Dombrowski goes and he trades for Kimbrell and Sale. The next year, they still lose in the first round but they win a game and the Astros were cheating. So that's whatever they win a game and Dombrowski sees. Okay. And David price was hurt. So Dombrowski's like, okay, well, this is the first year that we've ever played without David Ortiz. Since I've been here, we finished last in the American league in home runs. Um, Mookie Betts led the team with something like 24 home runs. We have a gaping hole. We need a big bat. What does he do? He goes out and signs JD Martinez and they win the world series. Like every year, that he had a postseason team, he built on it and built on it and built on it until it was a World Series team. And the Rays were like, you know what? Let's go back to square one. We'll start this all over again. And it's evident, like it's evident because they, yes, they won a hundred games this year. They did. That's really impressive for them. But they got booted out of the postseason in the first round against a team that was projected to win 79 games finish fourth in the division and go absolutely nowhere. And the Yankees the same. I mean, the Yankees were also favorites. Like the Yankees, I think were favored by some outlets over the Rays to win the division at the beginning of the season, favored to win the American league pennant Red Sox boot them out in the first game. And I don't think the Yankees were in first place in uh, like by themselves maybe for like one or two days, one day. Okay. Right. So they weren't even like, the Red Sox were in first place for 85, literally 85 days this year. Well, yeah, this and year it kept being, you saw them get out to the hot start and it was like, oh man, they're just hot now. And then like it's June and it's like, oh, they're, they're still there. They were in first place until like mid July. Yeah. It's like, and also, they're real. you know, somebody, so, you know, with the American league manager of the year thing, which obviously like awards or whatever, but at the same time, like some of the awards this year were absolute bullshit. Like, I'm sorry, Alex Cora, should, I'm not saying he should have won. I think Scott Service should have won. But Alex Cora getting, like, so few votes for manager of the year, like, there's definitely some of it being stigma from the cheating. Yeah. And I, I understand that. But at the same time, like, if a guy owns his crap, serves his punishment, and then gets rehired, like, you factually – and you know MLB is keeping an eagle eye on him because they already don't trust him and they don't trust the Red Sox, and that's fair – but he took a team that had was projected to be like 
an under 500 team and they won 92 games. Yeah, judge him on the season. Judge him on you the You have to judge him on that. And like, I'm sorry, but Dusty Baker and Kevin Cash are two managers who were projected to have good teams this year and then had good teams. Like, it's not impressive to me when you take a team that's supposed to be good and then have them be good. Like, Rays is a little bit more impressive because they lost a lot of pitching and Ryan Yarborough was crap. And you want to, you won a franchise record 100 games. That's great. Dusty Baker, like, I love Dusty Baker. I hate that he's the manager of the Astros because I like him so much. But, like, A, you're Dusty Baker. So we already know you're a good manager. And B, the Houston Astros have been A, a stacked team for years, and B, a cheating team for years. We're accused of cheating, like, all year long and during the postseason. Like, you shouldn't be nominated for manager of the year. Again, Team Scott Service and the Seattle Mariners, like, he should have won. That was unexpected. That was great. But that's my point is like him and Cora were the two managers who managed unexpected teams to greatness. The Mariners were like one win away from a tie breaking situation for the American league wildcard. Yeah. Yeah. And they came Doug, out of nowhere. Like, you're giving I mean, it I mean, to they were good. They were good. They were good. And then suddenly, Oh wow. They're within three games. Oh wow. And they, they traded away the their best bullpen piece at the, before the deadline. I have to say, I went to a Mariners game in Seattle in August. And I had, I kind of feel like I brought them some good luck because I went <laughs> and then all of a sudden they went on this like late season tear. And I was like, mm, is it cause I came and eat garlic fries at your uh, ballpark? But <laughs> no, I mean, I, I also like when unexpected teams do well, like I was really happy when the Atlanta Braves, I mean, the Braves have been good for a really long time, but they've never been able to get past teams like the Dodgers. Cause the Dodgers just have so much of literally everything. Cause they're so I'm like, when are you going to hit the luxury tax threshold? Like you've been spending for years. Like when are you going to freak out or they'll just pay it? But like, it's very annoying. They just keep throwing money at everything. But like the Braves, I love that for them. They were, they're a fun team. Like the way that they handled the mid season, like the trade deadline was brilliant. Like they, they literally went and like tragedy to triumph. Like you think losing Acuna is going to like ruin your entire season. Like, what could be Freddie Freeman's last season as a brave, even though I don't think it will be like, and instead you go and you're like, how oh, we're going to win the whole fucking thing. I love that. That's, that's what baseball is supposed to be about. Not like every year it's the Dodgers, Yankees, Red Sox, and Astros. Like it's boring. Factually yeah. speaking, I'm bored. Aren't you guys? I mean, Yankees, not so much over the last 15 years, but in the history of baseball, aren't you bored? Don't you want it to be like the Mariners? Don't you want it to be like random ass teams that all of a sudden are super good for no legitimate reason. And they're just like good and fun. Like the Washington nationals in 2019. That was awesome. Yeah. Because like no one went into that season being like (laughs) the Washington nationals are going (laughs) to upset everyone this year and win their first world series ever. Like there are six teams that still have never won a world series. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well I want to see that. Yep. I want to be like bandwagon crying over somebody I've never cared about before because that's what baseball is supposed to be about. I don't like, I've seen four world series in my life. Like I'm good. Like it's great and it's fun and I'm happy and like whatever. But like, as long as the Red Sox are watchable, I am so happy to like have the Mariners like in the postseason and like be, you know, doing it all. Like I spread the love, like, and also make it more interesting because also fan bases, it's really hard to grow fan bases when the team is just completely unwatchable for years. Not the Mariners more. This is more like an Orioles thing, but like, I was going to say Baltimore. Yeah. Mm. Or like, 
I mean, the Tigers are an interesting team because they're they're about to be really good. Like they just signed Erod, and like they're going to be bit. Like I think they're going to get and Correa and Ver. Well, Wait. no, no, they didn't get Verlander. Oh, I thought I thought Verlander signed with them. Today. No, 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 he's staying with the Astros. Oh, yeah, okay. no, oh man. Okay, didn't I thought his brother tweeted that he's that he signed with the Tigers? No, no, he tweeted that he's staying with the Astros. Oh wow, I I totally misread that. Yeah. The, the last um, update I had was at like two o'clock today, and I thought I, I saw he declined oh. the qualifying offer, mm. but then they made him a better. They they upped it. They're giving him twenty five million dollars over one season with a player option for the next season, which will wow. be his age forty season. And the dude has barely pitched since. He's pitched in one game in 2020 and nothing since. 2019, since. yeah, right. <laughs> it's, I mean, so apparently the reason that he chose them instead of going into free agency, um, like John Heyman said, it was like, you know, he felt like really loyal and like the loyalty had been a big thing with the team. And I think that that's fair because like you never see loyalty in sports. Like there's so much of baseball as a business and like the Astros absolutely did not have to give a guy, like you said, who'd barely pitched over the last two years and who's going to be four 39 next year, a qualifying offer for $18.4 million. And they did. Yeah. And when he turned it down, they still gave him a bigger deal. And I literally wrote this for fan side today. I was like, look, he rewarded loyalty with loyalty. And that's honestly kind of nice. You know, I hate the Astros, but like I respect that they didn't like kind of put an older pitcher out to pasture because we all know, like there are plenty of teams that would be like, well, yeah, he won two Cy Youngs, but he's coming back from Tommy John. He's going to be 39 years old. Like there's no guarantees. Like we'll just let him hit free agency and, you know, we'll see what happens. I mean, The Tiger, I mean, not the Tigers, the Dodgers, and this is a little bit different, but like the Dodgers did not give Kershaw a qualifying offer. And they said that part of that was because, and Kershaw's only 33 or 34. They said that Kershaw, they didn't want to put that time like pressure on him, but they kind of made it sound like he's considering retiring. Yeah. And that's kind of wild to me because it's Clayton Kershaw and it's like when David Ortiz was getting older and he was kind of thinking about retiring, he went to like the Red Sox ownership group and he said, you know, I think 2016 and every year he said that he said this in his book, he was like, look, every year when I was, every time I was a free agent, I took less money because I wanted to stay with the Red Sox. I always had to fight them for money. I watched them give people like Pablo Sandoval, uh, Carl Crawford, Adrian Gonzalez, like all of those guys, the AAV on all of their contracts was higher than anything Ortiz ever made in a single season by far. And they were, you know, they were giving, they gave Crawford and Gonzalez seven year deals or like six, seven year deals for like 140 something million dollars each in the same year. And David Ortiz, who literally won three world series for them, they'd be like, yeah, we'll give you like one year for $16 million. And that was after he was like fighting them for it. And like, it's disrespectful. First of all, like I, I'm not happy about it, but when he told them he was thinking about retiring, it was only then that they were like, we will give you whatever you want to retire as a Boston Red Sox. And if the Dodgers aren't doing that with Kershaw, it's again, it's like the loyalty thing. Like I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I will have more respect for the Astros than the Dodgers because like Verlander didn't even spend his entire career with, I mean, he came to them in 2017 at the last minute at the deadline, like yeah. literally minutes before the deadline. Yeah. 
the non-waiver deadline. Yeah. Oh, that's right. And it wasn't even the trade deadline. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was like, it was like literally down to like, I think two minutes he said in his like, you know, quotes about it. But like Kershaw has been with you since you signed, since you drafted him. You're going to let that guy retire in somebody else's uniform. That's like Tom Brady levels of bullshit. Like that's worse to me, honestly, because, you know, Brady like wanted to leave. Like, I don't think Kershaw wants to leave. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's like a very interesting thing. I don't remember how we got, got on well, this topic. Well, they, but... they floated Texas, right? Texas was one of the places they said Kershaw could land. Right. Well, they were also saying home. like Corey Seager could land there because Tim Hires is their new hitting coach and he was the Red Sox hitting coach for a long time. And he worked right. with Seager for a while in LA. So I think that there's definitely like at least, at least one Dodger ends up in Texas. That's my hot take for this off season. I think Chris Taylor is going to go to the Phillies. He plays so many positions that like, that's the kind of like, look, they have like nothing going for them right now. They have one, they, or they have Harper obviously, but I'm saying like, in terms of like defense, like Reese Hoskins got hurt at the end of last year. Alec Baum was terrible. They got rid of Herrera and McCutcheon. So they have Harper in the outfield and then like some prospects um, who are fine, but like have almost no experience. Didi Gregorius is terrible. You guys know that. Um, which hurts me because I always really, even when Didi was a Yankee, yeah. I always really liked Didi. And now he's like, well, I think the vaccine broke my elbow. It's like, that's yeah. not how vaccine. Works, no. but, yeah. you know, I, okay. I pulled up, I pulled up the stats for the year and I was like, oh wait, he was, he was I'm like, really I'm bad. like, you got the vaccine this year and you've been statistically one of the worst defenders for like five years. So explain how that works. Like you, are you, is this like a place on the IL retroactive to 2016? Like <laughs> your body knew that one day there'd be a pandemic. Cause if so, we should ask you what's going to happen next year for the world series. If you're like out here, your body's out here predicting a future. Um, but the point being like having a versatile guy like that, like they have, they had Brad Miller this year, but Miller's older and like, they're not going to bring him back you can upgrade with Chris Taylor. He's played like pretty much every infield and out, outfield position. I really want them to sign Starling Marte, but like he's literally like the only legit center fielder on the free agent market. So like 12 teams at least are going to want Star- Starling Marte. Yeah. Um, I think they would go for Schwarber, but yeah, I don't know what the Dodgers are going to do. The other thing is the Dodgers, like half their starting rotation is a question mark. Yeah. So they're going to have a, they're, they have a lot of money that they're going to have to spend this year, but they also are already spending a lot of money. And that's interesting to think about. I mean, yeah. uh, do you think the the consensus I've read is that they're going to just park a dump truck full of money on Max Scherzer's front yard and say, we need you back. back. Yeah. Well, the yeah. thing that's weird is like they have Trey Turner, but they still gave Corey Seager a qualifying offer. And I think the mental math there was like, cause if somebody else, if he declines it, they get a compensatory pick. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of, it's, I think it's kind of like the Craig Kimbrell situation. Obviously that's picking up an option. So it's a little bit different, but I think the white Sox were like, well, this trade was an absolute disaster, but if we pick up his option and then trade him, at least we get something for it yeah. as opposed to like, we just gave a bunch of prospects across town to the Cubs. And then like, I mean, to be fair, they have only themselves to blame for Kimbrell being terrible because you took a closer and we're like, you know what, instead we're going to have you be a setup man. Cause we already have a closer. Like, why did they think that that would work? Yeah. His ERA like quadrupled, yeah. but like, that's not his fault. He's a closer and you put him in the eighth inning. Like, 
the yeah. whole point of baseball is like, if you play to individual strengths, you achieve collective success. So really unless you, that, unless it's you really not that, that complicated. If, mm. Unless you have that conversation. Uh, what, wasn't it uh, Soriano uh, set up for Rivera toward the end of Rivera's career? Um, and they, they asked him before they signed him, they were like, are you cool with setting up? And then Rivera got, I think it was the year he tore his uh, ACL. Soriano ended up closing, you know, all those games for the Yankees. But um, I, wanted, I wanted to ask a question because you brought up the Phillies and we have a lot of Philly fans, uh, fans of the show, um, and you ask me about Wheeler. Cause I have a lot of, <laughs> oh, I'm going to say when you said, when you said they don't have anything going for them, I was like, I meant, no, 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 no. I didn't mean pitching wise. I no, say, you could argue that for the bullpen. And the Cy Young award winner yeah. <laughs> on the same team. Well, well no, there not should be Cy Young, Cy Young winner. winner. Yeah. 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 Didn't win. Didn't win. Wait, oh, um, wait, did they announce? Yeah. Tonight. Corbin Burns won. Yeah. Damn it, no. yeah. <laughs> Corbin Burns pitched 46 fewer innings yeah. <laughs> and won a Cy Young over a guy who, yeah. Mm-hmm. He yeah. had he had what seven point seven WAR. Like what did what did Burns have? Did he have more than I, that? Because if if we, so, Wheeler led the NL. I looked it up today. Zach Wheeler yeah. was better in a lot of ways than both Robbie Ray and Corbin Burns, and they both have Cy Young awards, and he doesn't. You know why? Because they basically turned it into an ERA leader award for the NL, and I say for the NL because Wheeler had a better ERA than Robbie Ray. He reached 200 innings and 200 strikeouts faster than any pitcher in baseball this year. And he lost it to a guy who didn't even come close to pitching 200 innings. And if Ray hadn't edged him on like in his last start of the season, Wheeler would have been the strikeout leader for all of MLB, but instead he lost it by one strikeout, literally one strikeout. And I'm sorry, but I just have to point out like Corbin Burns was backed by one of the best bullpens in baseball this year. He had Devin Williams and Josh Hader. And Zach Wheeler had a bullpen that tied the MLB all-time single-season record for blown saves. (laughs) And obviously, the Cy Young is won by the pitcher themselves. But there is something to be said for the fact that Zach Wheeler led in complete games and shutouts. That's right, yep. Because he had to. Yeah, something psychological with that, too. He also led in, in, in innings pitched. Because yeah. he had to. Like, Joe yeah. Girardi was like, well, shit. Who am I going <laughs> to use this time? The guy with the 80 ERA or the guy with the 7 ERA or the guy with the seven and a half ERA or the guy who's dead? Like, <laughs> the- Zach Wheeler had nobody behind him. And when Ranger Suarez moved to the starting rotation, he had even less than nobody. Because all of a sudden, your only good reliever, I mean, Archie Bradley was fine, but he's not a closer. Your only good reliever, sorry, hiccups and, yeah. Sorbet, your only good reliever is suddenly in the starting rotation with you. So it's like, this is both good, but also bad. Not to mention Ian Kennedy after the trade deadline was terrible. Yeah. I mean, and, and not that war is everything, but even, even Ranger Suarez had more war this year than Corbin Burns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I know war is driven a lot by an you know, pitch. That, that's a big point. Well, it so. depends. The fan, biggest... fan graphs and baseball reference do it pretty differently. They value different things, but the biggest sorry, I'm, thing I'm a B-war guy. Sorry. I'm B war. I'm a B war gal too. I spend half my day on baseball reference. <laughs> um, my biggest thing with the Phillies is like, z- like these are individual awards, obviously. And this will be a conversation for tomorrow too, because a lot of MLB fans are dumb and they base 
the MVP award on whether or not a team went to the postseason, even though A, it's a regular season award, B, it's an individual award, and C, baseball is a team sport and cannot be carried by an individual, except for like the very rare exceptions, like David Ortiz hitting 700 in the 2013 postseason when the rest of the team was hitting like 200, you know. Um, But (laughs) the point being, like, Bryce Harper tomorrow is likely going to win the NL MVP. And I say likely because the the biggest clue, and this is very annoying, and I want to hear what you think about it. You know how MLB Network announced that, like, various MLB legends would be presenting the awards this week? Yeah. They basically told us, like, who was going to win each award for the National League. They're like, so um, Johnny Bench is going to announce the Rookie of the Year. Okay, so it's Jonathan that's a, India. It's a red, yep. A red's going to announce a red. A giant's going to announce not only a giant, his literal successor in the job. <laughs> and then you're going to have the greatest Philly of all time announce the NL MVP, and you're going to try and tell me it's Juan Soto. It's either the biggest sense, the biggest case of misdirection ever, or Bryce Harper's the MVP. And I'm willing to bet the MLB network doesn't want a bunch of Phillies fans driving up to Secaucus, New Jersey and setting the MLB network studios on fire. So it's probably Bryce Harper. Otherwise they're just asking for psycho Phillies fans to come and destroy their, their building. Um, Cause we both know Phillies. We all know Phillies fans will literally, I mean, they'll, they'll do that. Like when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, I don't know if you guys heard about this. I have a lot of family in Philly. So after like the NFC, like when they beat the Vikings, they had a bunch of like Eagles fans um, climbing like street lamp poles in the city and like toppling them or they were just like climbing them. I don't know. They were doing crazy stuff. Like my, one of my family friends um, was at the game and he literally saw two like adult Eagles fans, like taunting a literal infant baby wearing a Vikings Jersey in its stroller um, being like, you fucking baby. It was really funny. Um, but like, also like, really, it's a, ba- it's a baby. They don't even know what's happening. Um, so after then, oh. so then in preparation for the Super Bowl, the city of Philadelphia was like, um, we need to figure out how to keep Phillies fans from destroying the city. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Eagles fans. Um, so they like greased all of the poles of the lampposts and like street signs so that fans wouldn't like climb them. And so instead the Eagles fans were just like unscrewing the screws and toppling a bunch of street, like lampposts and street signs. It was like, it was like in Mulan when she climbs the, the thing. So anyway, oh yeah. Um, Bryce Harper should win the end, the MVP also. Cause like factually speaking, he was better. Like Juan Soto walked a thousand times. That's great. But like, that just puts you on base, like, which is nice, but th- where are you going after that? You know, yeah. like, are you stealing three bases? Like what's happening here? Um, Bryce Harper led MLB in doubles, set a career high, led in slugging OPS, OPS plus like, and he was hurt. He didn't play the full season. And he was still leading in like everything. And he led in a bunch of the same categories that he led the first time he won the NL MVP award. So by that logic, like you've already had an NL MVP season because you've literally done this before. Um, so, they, I mean, look, the Phillies have a lot going for them. I'm also really excited because they have like, they've made some really good, 
front office and like personnel moves this year that are signaling that they're finally actually getting their shit together. Like they hired Preston Mattingly away from the Padres to be their new player development director. They hired an exec away from the Rays to be their, one of their new assistant GMs. Like they hired Kevin long away from the Washington nationals. And he's the guy that fixed Kyle Schwarber last winter. And then Kyle Schwarber had like that monstrous season. Like they're finally realizing like if some team is doing really well, we should just steal all the people from them that are doing stuff and then listen to them. <laughs> Which like, like uh, the, the crazy concept. Like, oh, crazy wait. concept. You know, Cleveland seems to grow Cy Young pitchers out of nowhere in the cornfields. We should probably hire Matt Blake. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's what do you know? Huge Larry concept. You want to you want to rebuild your farm system? Hire executives away from two teams with the best farm systems in baseball. It's really not that complicated. Just like. Hire people who know better than you and then let them do their jobs. Yeah. Yeah. Let them figure out the shit. And like crazy you, concept. You you keep you keep uh alluding to, you know, maybe better days for the Phillies as a team. And like my biggest question for you coming into this was like, is Joe we we talk on this <laughs> podcast all the time? Like, what is the value of a manager? We don't know. We we haven't figured it out. I don't think we have an official uh, position. I, on I this, think we yeah. have different positions. Yeah. Different positions. Yeah. So we so don't what are your positions? Because position. <laughs> I'll tell you mine, but I want to hear yours first. Okay. I'll go because, and then you tell me if I'm freezing and if I freeze, you guys can talk. Um, <laughs> here's, here's my position. I'm in a different part of the apartment and everything has been smoother now. So hopefully we're good. My position is this. I think that the tactical in-game management um, is super overrated. I think that it only makes game-changing, uh, uh, leads to game-changing results maybe a couple times a year. Now, in a really close race, sure, that matters. I get it. But I think in terms of the overall impact, what matters way, way more across the season is everything that's happening behind the scenes that we can't ever really know all the details about. Uh, everything about keeping players happy, keeping players sane, um, all of those kinds of things. I think I think it's the clubhouse stuff, the interpersonal stuff. I think that's way, way more important um, than the tactical in-game stuff. That's my position. I don't, Colin and Matt, I don't think are quite with me on that. Yeah. Yeah. We saw Boone make too many tactical mistakes this year. (laughs) Again, when we talk about the one game difference between home, home field and the wild card game, again, that one, that one game could have made a huge, a huge chance. And we, we dropped a number of games because of poor tactical decisions. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. But I also think, we also, uh, but we dropped way more games because everybody sucked. Well, so well, like, well, yeah. I mean, but but culture and accountability are important. Um, and like you guys have heard me rant, I hate hearing him just sit up there and say like, "Well, you know, he didn't have his stuff today." Well, no, just say he sucked today. And you know, I mean, he, again, I, I'm going to go back to the Orioles game that you and I watched, Ethan, that the Yankees threw away from two clearly poor pass balls like that Gary should have had. They're just really, really bad pass balls. And we lost to the Orioles because of it. And it's like Boone still trots out there and says, well, he just didn't have a good night. Well, no, bench him. Like, make a point there. But anyway, sorry, that's my opinion. Well, and as I said on an earlier podcast, I believe the Yankees were lying when they said that Aaron Boone would have been the hottest name on the market this offseason if they had let him go. Uh, And so my overall position is that the managers make more of an impact than – whether it's the same type of impact as it was 25, you know, 30 years ago, obviously it's a little bit different. And however, they're making an impact today. It's much more, it's much more of an impact than maybe we want to say that like they're puppets and they're just listening to the analytical department and everything. Cause I think like someone like Bob Melvin is a really classic example of someone who commands a room is very good strategically can execute that way. And was so highly coveted that he got poached from a position where, as we talked about when, when it happened, guys, he, he seemed pretty happy in Oakland. Like there, there was nothing. I mean, San Diego's nice. Like, don't get me wrong, but you know, like if, if there were more Bob Melvins in the world, I think all of us would be like, yeah, managers matter. But I, I just, I don't know that managers are you know, like where I see Aaron Boone struggle sometimes is not just with the tactical stuff, but I, I, I almost wonder if he just like, has trouble pushing back like with the analytical department sometimes with the Yankees and saying like, I have a feel for what's going on right now. Like I'm out there with these guys. I'm listening to what they're talking about. I hear what they say about their bodies, what they say about the matchups and everything. Like, let me make, like, I, I feel like Alex Cora, you know, on the flip side is really good at that. Um, and, and to like, you know, the Joe Girardi thing, like what I'm wondering is like forever, I think Yankee fans, well, myself, I guess I'll say I gave him a pass because I said the team was old. And so naturally it was going to be stale. Um, you know, the only year it wasn't old was 2009. They all had career seasons. Those, those core four players, they, they won the world series, but most of those other years, even the years where they still made the playoffs, like, I mean, obviously they're getting older every single year. They're dealing with major injuries, Rivera tearing his ACL, Jeter breaking his ankle, A-Rod was hurt. Then he was suspended for, you know, steroids, then they're, they're signing Carlos Beltran, who's like, you know, 30, 35, 36 years old when they could have gotten him for half the, the price uh, back when he was a free agent the first time around. And like, I gave him a pass and now he's with the Phillies and I'm like, they still feel very stale. Like, I don't know. Is he like, is he a good manager? I, I, I don't know. I, I can't figure it out. So, I mean, here's my thing about, I mean, it's partially a, a, Girardi thing it's partially a a Kapler thing for one thing I think 
if Kapler was hired, take the Giants out of the equation. If Kapler was hired now, like to work with Dombrowski and the current front office culture that Dombrowski is bringing, I think the Phillies are in a much better position to succeed. And so is Kapler. You know, the the Phillies front office culture over the last decade, as they attempted rebuild after rebuild and nothing came of it, was a very toxic situation to put any manager in. And you saw it because Kapler had a lot of experience with player development. I mean, he came from the Dodgers. He had a lot of experience with young players. He was like heralded when they hired him and he was only in his early forties. And yeah, he made some weird decisions at the beginning, but the Phillies did get better under him and they didn't even have a lot to work with at the time. And, you know, yesterday, I think it was like Bryce Harper, like congratulated Kapler on his manager of the year win and was like, no one deserves it more than you you know, picture of them from when they were both with the Phillies. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, do I think that Harper would probably be happy with a young, innovative guy like Kapler leading guys like Alec Baum and, you know, Bryson Stott, who's going to debut at shortstop next year at some point and, you know, comes from a player development minor league, you know, background in a team in a franchise like the Dodgers that has such a bumper crop of prospects like apparently all the time like just coming from everywhere like an unending flow of just like annoyingly good prospects um compared to a team like the Phillies which regularly has one of the worst farm systems in baseball um I don't know how much of it is. I think Girardi's a bad manager. I definitely don't think he's one of the greatest managers in the game right now or in the last two decades. You know, you think about it. I kind of think about it like John Farrell with the Red Sox, you know, the 09, 2013 situation of like 2009, like you said, like everyone had career years. Everyone was really good, you know, and he kind of coasts on that success. Wasn't, wasn't that his first season as manager? Oh, oh, seven. I, oh, seven. Okay. Yeah. So it was not, not exactly the same, but like John Farrell was hired, like he had coached for the Red Sox, but he got hired as their manager ahead of the 2013 season. He has a completely random group of free agents because they sold off half of the 2012 team. Cause they were so embarrassingly, disgustingly bad and just unwatchable and terrible. And I hated them. Um, <laughs> And Bobby Valentine was their manager. I was say, that's I Bobby Valentine year. Oh, it was, yeah, well, it was the year that Johnny Pesky died and only four guys from the team went to the funeral, even though the team had buses to take the player Ooh. to the funeral. But none of them had a problem that same, like the day before or the day after going to Josh Beckett's charity bowling event. Well, doesn't that say something about Johnny Pesky, though? No, it doesn't. No? Okay. Johnny Pesky was a beloved member of the Red Sox franchise for 60 plus years. Okay. To the point where when they won the 2004 World Series, as they were going into the locker room to in the clubhouse to celebrate in St. Louis, every single Red Sox player went over to him, hugged him, kissed him, and said, this is for you, Johnny. And he got a World Series ring. Oh, shit. Okay. Awesome. Johnny Pesky was beloved and respected, and that team had no respect for him uh, or the franchise. And it okay. was literally one of the darkest moments in franchise history. Oof. That like, and David Ortiz went, but he doesn't count because he was friends with Johnny Pesky for years. None of these players respected a guy who was with the team. He was 
like a pennant winning player. He was a broadcaster. He was a coach. He was a manager. He had been with that team for over 60 years and was beloved, like retired number, like patches on the jerseys. They didn't give a fuck, but they, they went bowling for Josh Beckett, like that kind of attitude, unwatchable, unlikable, just shitheads. Mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry. It will literally bother me forever. Um, Cause like you literally just could have gone, you could have just shown the fuck up. Like, it's really not that difficult. The team brought buses to the ballpark for you to go and you yeah. didn't go. And, it, and it's a, a two hour commitment, right? Like to a guy who committed 60 plus years of his life. 60 plus. This, and, this is the last year of Farrell. This is the, the no, this, so, so the 23rd. No, so Valentine that was Bobby year, Valentine. Right? So then oh, they hire John Farrell and then the Boston bombing happens. And all of a sudden this yeah, team yeah. is playing for the city and David Ortiz is hitting 700 and John Farrell coasts on that world series win that he had very little to do with for like five years. Yeah. For, for, for four seasons, like four years, five seasons. But he didn't speak Spanish, so he couldn't connect with players. He wasn't good at communicating with them. Like, sometimes players wouldn't even know they were in the lineup until, like, an hour before the game. Like, Rafael Devers comes up. He doesn't speak, like, almost any English. He cannot communicate with Farrell one-on-one. Like, you cannot connect with your players. You don't seem to want to connect with your players. Like, there was a very funny but very accurate description of Farrell in the 2013 World Series movie which was that he looked like a guy who walked off the cast of Mad Men to, to, to like run Duck Dynasty because that was the, the beard year. So <laughs> anyway, in terms of managers, you know, I think my biggest thing with managers is it's kind of like self-driving cars. Um, you're always going to need a human person to make those split second decisions and go with their gut because numbers are sometimes not the whole story. And we saw that with the Cy Young votes this week. like half of these guys voted basically based on Corbin Burns ERA. And like, I would still pick Wheeler and I grew up a Red Sox fan. So it's not like it's a Phillies bias. Like, yes, I covered the team, but it's no, I watched every single Wheeler start and he did more. And like, yeah, he had a couple bad games, but he had a couple bad games because he was freaking exhausted because he was pitching more innings than literally any other pitcher he because he shutouts. had to Yeah, <laughs> two shutouts, three complete games. Like in, uh, for 2021, that's really incredible. Yeah. Including, including yeah. against his former team. He threw a complete game shutout against the Mets on Roy Holiday Day when I mean, they were in first place. What, Garrett, Garrett Coles was it a shutout or a complete game? Like he did it once and everyone's like, yay. Like, look at Corey Kluber had like is. one, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, no, I didn't, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Cy Young, the person, literally made complete games and shutouts like. <laughs> famous that's like literally why it's a Cy Young award so I feel like you should probably give it to the guy who did the Cy Young things maybe <laughs> but, but but for Girardi Kapler all these guys you know Aaron Boone my thing with Aaron Boone for one thing is he had zero managerial or, or coaching experience when he was hired to the point where I was like did they literally just hire this guy because he hit a walk-off home run run one time against the Red Sox <laughs> like Tim Wakefield like 16 years ago <laughs> like I mean, now it's like 17, 18, 18 years. Holy crap. It's like 18 years ago. But, you know, when they hired him, it was like 14 years since that had happened. And in that time, the Red Sox had won three World Series. So, like, it's not even an own. You know, if if they'd hired him to be a coach in 2005 or 2004, even, like, if he retired immediately and then they just hired him to sit there and, like, make Red Sox players, like, 
uncomfortable i'd be like okay this is like a pretty good burn for 2004 but like three world series later like we're not scared of aaron boone so it's not even like a good reason to hire him like what are you capitalizing on the nostalgia of the guy who then like got hurt playing pickup basketball you then paid a rod an obscene amount of money and you still only won one world series and he got like suspended an entire season for performance enhancing drugs like all in all, kind of a, a series of unfortunate events for the Yankees, like when it's all said and done, especially because the reason that they were able to get rid of Boone is because of a clause that was named after a Red Sox pitcher who hurt himself playing going skiing in the late in the late 60s. And so teams started putting a clause in their contracts named after this pitcher, basically saying players cannot do ridiculously dangerous things that would impact their ability to stay healthy for the the season, even during the off season. So like you cannot go dirt biking before spring training, because if you hurt yourself, you will violate your contract because you're doing something dangerous that could hurt you. The um, ONS clause now. Yeah. Now it's the ONS clause. Then it was the gym on board. Clause. Um, Wasn't it mad bum too. That was doing some. Oh, some mad yeah. was, dirt biking. <laughs> was on his ranch. Well, <laughs> the point being, you know, Aaron Boone, it's interesting because I think he was a big analytic guy, but he also didn't want to be an analytic guy. And this is just like my kind of eye test, third-party observer observation is like, he kind of wanted to do both, but he wasn't particularly good at either because he didn't want to do analytics as much. And he isn't very good at the connecting, motivating with the players kind of thing. Like he's not a Cora. And he's not a Scott Service or a Bob Melvin or, you know, a Bruce Bochy or a Brian Snicker. You know, he's just not that kind of guy that players are like, I would freaking take 8,000 bullets for Brian Snicker, including shooting myself in the face. Like, he's just not. Well, and like, 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 all you need to see is is Cora, the Cora Erod thing in the playoffs. Like, he stood on the edge of the dugout and publicly chastised him, said, hey, don't do that. We don't do that. Yeah. And then it was over. Boone is like fucking fighting umpires being like, my guys are savages in these boxes. Like, no, they're not. (laughs) It's like a frat guy going up to like a girl and being like, this is a good dude. But like, you know, it's not a good dude. Um, (laughs) You know, you're right. That savages really hasn't aged well after about. No, none of it ages well. You know why? Because it can't be backed up. Like everything that like Cashman and Boone have said about the Red Sox over the last two years, it's like, but you don't back it up. You know, you can't back it up. Like my team won 92 games this year where they were supposed to win 79. Your team lost in the wild card game and they were supposed to win the pennant. Well, yeah, our opportunity to back it up would have been in the wild card game and we laid a freaking egg. Right. Like that wasn't the Stanton home run, like the only run that they scored. And that was like in the ninth inning. Not only that, but like they used Garrett Whitlock. We used Garrett Whitlock to close the game, which was like, I'm sorry. Anyway, (laughs) the point being like, I think that analytics are important. I also think if you're living and dying by analytics, like Kevin Cash, like look where it got him. Yeah. Like tough spots. You need to have a guy like Cora. Like, yeah, Cora, some of Cora's pitching decisions. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Like I was there for the three home ALCS games. And I was like, I, I want to die. Like I straight up want to die. But overall, I would still choose Cora over most managers 
from a field standpoint, like cheating situation aside, cause that like destroyed me. But like in terms of being able to connect with your players and make a lot of crafty decisions, like they went from last place last year to six ALCS games. Like they were two, one win, two wins away from going to the world series. Yeah. Yeah. They were up two one before they lost four to two. So you know, you need a guy who is going to connect with your players and you need a guy who can make those decisions and not a guy who's like, even as the car, as the self-driving car is going off the cliff, you're like, I still trust the vehicle more than my own brain. Like you can't do that. Like it doesn't work. And we've seen it not work. And the thing that weirds me out about the Yankees giving Boone the extension is that they fired all of his coaches and now they're replacing them with the coaches that they want. So it's kind of like, Boone's trapped in like the ivory tower kind of situation of like, even his, like, if you go by like a Royal standpoint, it's kind of like the Romanoffs, like being prisoners in their own palace kind of situation. Like he, all of his coaches report to people above him and are supposed to be there to keep him in line. So he's (laughs) like, he's not, he's like a puppet king. He's not actually in charge of anything. Like everyone there is supposed to undermine him and control him and keep him at bay. So it's like, why did you even give him the extension in the first place? Well, well, just hire somebody else. We've guessed sometimes before that that might be what the front office wants. Exactly what they want. They want. But then it's like, just hire someone exactly like that to begin with. Because with Boone, you're still going to have that pushback. Like there's so much more headache. Like maybe you let his contract expire next year because didn't he have one more year left and they just gave him an extension? No, it was nah, this was it. This was it. Yeah. Then I don't get it because yeah. I, you know, if you want guys who are just gonna like be like you know your yes men, like just hire one. You had the out. His contract was <laughs> up. Like yeah. the 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 Yankees guys for fan sided are really good friends of mine, and like when. I, I asked them, I was like, I'm genuinely not trying to troll you. Like what the hell is going on in the Bronx? Like you all thought that he was done after this season. We thought was, not was, only is yeah. he not done, he has like a three-year contract extension. Yeah. Why not just hire like any analytics, you know, robot instead, if that's, if you want someone who's just going to do exactly what you tell them and Boone clearly isn't that guy, instead of making a whole complicated setup where you have all of these coaches who are just supposed to like keep him in check, just hire someone you don't have to keep in check. It seems very logical. Like, I don't, I don't see how they win with him if it keeps going like this. Cause all you're doing, like one of the things that Cora was really good at is building a coaching staff, you know, like Tim hires, like the Red Sox offense was one of the best in baseball in like almost every offensive category because of Tim hires. that's a guy that Cora hired, you know, like why there, you can't have a cohesive like coaching and managing staff. If the coaching staff isn't actually the manager's staff, it's the front office's staff. It's the analytics department staff. Like I don't get it. Yeah. I, it's crazy. Um, (laughs) This, this is like, I don't know, I don't know. People, people who don't love baseball are probably like, what the hell are they all talking about? But like, this is why we love baseball is because it's like so unperfect, but 
like at the same time you can you can still find the romanticism in it and, and everything and like we've just talked baseball nonsense for like over an hour and and I could do it all night uh like honestly but we um, wouldn't love baseball so much if we couldn't complain about it like if baseball <laughs> if baseball didn't have things that made us mad I don't think that we would all enjoy it so much like half of it is bitching about it yeah you know <laughs> like that's kind of part of it is like Every night, like the Red Sox in some way will make me unspeakably furious. And the next day at 7, 10 PM. All right. Like I'm like, all right, first pitch. Let's go. Here we go. Go Red Sox. Love the Red Sox. I would die for the Red Sox. It's like, well, it's a disease, but like, that's part of it is like, I mean, there's like that thin line between love and hate. And I genuinely think baseball is that line. It lives right there, you know? About one foot in either camp. Like 40% of our conversations during baseball season among each other are just complaining about the Yankees. And, you know, it <laughs> it brings us closer. I mean, maybe that's what mm-hmm. I, how I look at it with the silver lining. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You guys got any uh, parting words uh, before we, we get out of here today? Oh, uh, man. Um, just looking at the Red Sox and, and what kind of moves forward. Xander Bogarts is a lot better than I think people give him credit for. And I'm trying to figure out what the Red Sox do when it's time to either extend them or get rid of them. So that was one of the things I, I, <sighs> I took away from looking to the Red Sox today. <laughs> Xander Bogarts is factually one of the most underrated players in baseball has been for like over half a decade. No one talks about him. Yeah. Like, First he was on a team with David Ortiz. Then he was on a team with Moogie Betts and JD Martinez. Like even Andrew Benintendi. He's just been overshadowed for like ever. He's definitely not like a super elite defender. He's fine. He's average. Yeah. But he is statistically, I don't know if it's through this season. I think this was last year. I haven't looked for this season, but over the last like four or five years, he has statistically been like, it was him and Trevor story. Statistically Bogarts has been like the best offensive shortstop in baseball. And no one talks about him like to the point where this was his first all-star game that he was voted into, even though in 2019, he was like a top eight MVP finalist. Yeah. That was my takeaway today. Like, Oh, wow. I mean, I knew he was good, but wow, this is impressive. (laughs) No, he's like really good. And he's just 29 years old. Wow. He's only 29. I I didn't know that. He, they signed him when he was like 16. They actually went down to Aruba to scout his brother. And they discovered him instead and they signed him. Wow. And um, yeah, so he he's amazing. My worry with him, um, you know, because the Red Sox have been linked to a bunch of the free agent shortstops is like, I feel like they're framing it like, oh, we're going to sign this guy, but we're also going to keep Bogarts and like move him to second base. And I don't trust them because the thing is Bogarts is already vastly underpaid. Like he's making like $20 million a year. Like if you look at like Lindor's contract, like that kind of set or like what Correa is commanded to get, what Seager will get, even though with Seager, like I don't trust Seager cause he's never healthy, which like, isn't entirely his fault. It's bad luck. But like the, the fact remains like he usually he's lucky if he plays a hundred games in a season. And, um, you know, I'm just worried that like they're going to sign someone like Correa, which I would absolutely hate. And move him to second base. But then like when his contract is up, they're like, all right, but we're already paying Correa. So like, bye-bye. Thanks for everything. 
Like I spoke with Pedro Martinez like two, almost two weeks ago. And he was saying like, I don't think Bogart should opt out, but I think that the Red Sox should sign him for his entire career because he's played hall of fame baseball here and he should continue to play hall of fame baseball here. Um, I don't even think he's like, he's not a bad defender. Like he's a, he's a fine shortstop. Like he's a good shortstop. He's not elite, but he's a good shortstop. And I think part of it is like, he's also overcompensating because Rafael Devers is not a very good third baseman. And so Bogarts is kind of, and also because for the last few years, they haven't had a regular everyday second baseman. So Bogarts has been doing like triple duty, kind of just like over, over, over covering three, like basically two thirds of the infield Yeah, because like, you can't trust Devers. You can't trust whoever the hell is playing second base. And, you know, ever since like he came up with Dustin Pedroia, like when he was a rookie, Dustin Pedroia was like the vet star, not even vet, but like he was the star and like, you know, Bogart's like, he had like a guy just like watching his back and like, it was, you know, the two of them. And now Xander's basically like babysitting half of the infield and also making sure like when Ben, when Ben Intendi was still playing left field and he wasn't a very good defender either. Like, you know, he's making sure nothing gets through to Ben Intendi either. And I think that if they either, this is why, like, I kind of, not like I was hoping JD would opt out, but like I had a plan. I was like, well, you make Devers or Schwarber your DH or you set up a platoon situation because for starters, I think they can totally live without Bobby Dahlbeck. Like he's whatever he strikes out too much for me. And he's not a, he's not a good enough first baseman that it's like worth it. Um, and their top prospect is Tristan Cassis who got promoted to triple a at the end of the season. Um, and is probably going to debut this year. And what I figured is you either move, you either sign Schwarber and make him your DH and you move Devers to, um, you kind of, you can kind of just like do what Cora did all season long. Like he had Marwin Gonzalez, the first five games of the season, Marwin Gonzalez started at a different position every single, every single game for five games. He made history. You can have Devers DHing sometimes and sometimes playing third. You can have Kyle Schwarber DHing sometimes, sometimes playing either first or the outfield. You can have either Dahlbeck or Cassis sometimes playing first, third, or DH. And you just kind of keep throwing different confusing things at your off at your opposing teams. And one of the reasons the Red Sox did so well this year is because they had so many unexpected lineups and so many unexpected defensive, you know, setups that teams couldn't plan ahead because they didn't, it was like box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get <laughs> literally like Marwin Gonzalez started five games at the beginning of the season at different positions. And <laughs> it's like, how do you plan? How do you strategize that? How do you know where to hit? If you don't know that the guy's going to be here or here, like, yeah, maybe he's a terrible second baseman, but he's a really good left fielder. Oh no. Like there he is. Like you can't sneak anything by him, that kind of vibe. So I was kind of like, well, you can move Devers, you can get a better third baseman and maybe Bogarts gets better by default because then he's not doing so much, but that's like a long winded. It's a whole different thing. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Gabrielle, uh, we've, we've kept you 
uh, very long tonight. And um, I mean, you see my dog eating the pee pad in the corner. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, delicious. Thankfully, it's a new one. So at least it's clean. (laughs) We do get a lot of YouTube watchers, so I, I'm sure people will. Uh, I hope take a they look enjoy me eating my mango passion fruit sorbet. It's delicious. <laughs> well, and I just wanted to say uh, thank you for taking the time. I mean, oh um, my god, of uh, course, anytime. I'm sorry, I took, I spoke for so long. It was no, wonderful. no, you got yeah, that. Thank you so much. Like, yeah, like that's what that's why we bring you on. People want to hear you. They don't want to hear us. Like, that's why we bring people on. So, and I just want to say, anytime, um, uh, thank you for making a Romanoffs reference while talking about <laughs> baseball <laughs> managers. That was my favorite. I saw, thing. I saw I'm you so, said, oh, oh, I'm so man, fucking happy about that. that. <laughs> that's amazing. So, I majored in history in college, and. When I was a kid, I was like really into just like really random things in history. And it was like ancient Egypt, the Romanovs, American Revolution, like World War II. Um, I'm Jewish. So there was a lot of like Holocaust studying. Um, but yeah, the Romanovs always fascinated me. I loved Anastasia, um, the movie, not like what happened to her. Obviously. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, that was like I and also because someone recently had a thread where they ranked every Fabergé egg that the Romanoffs commissioned. And I thought that was absolutely hilarious because their, <laughs> their rankings were not serious at all. It was like, this one's boring and ugly zero out of 10. It's like these gorgeous, <laughs> like, you know, very expensive antique uh, eggs that were commissioned for like tyrants. Um, but yes, thank amazing. you. I, I appreciate that. You appreciated that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's our schlub. If you were trying to figure out who the two jocks am, are. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm the, the two jocks. Ethan's the okay, schlub. I'm both a schlub and a, jock so you know yeah i'm a nerd is what it is yeah anyway thank you guys so much for having me um i'm happy to come back anytime if you want um yeah absolutely yeah, we got we got definitely. a long we got a long off season coming yeah. i got, we I have got a really long off season so. it's gonna shut down like real soon i mean it's november 17th we have like 13 days until shit hits the fan the countdown begins now yes yeah, absolutely. But I'll throw your uh, your social uh, into the show notes. Everyone, go check out her work. It is it is awesome. She throws a lot of shade at Yankee fans. So if you can't take it, don't. I really don't. Follow, don't. But... It's not worth it. There's nothing mean to say. Everything I could say, you already say about yourselves anyway. Like, I, you know, it's true. not fun to kick when you're down. It's fun to punch up. Um, that's my thing. I prefer like fun competition. You know, if it's David and Goliath, it's not, or not David and Goliath because that was fun. But you know, if if it's just like some giant dude beating up on like some weak dude, like it's not fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, thanks, thank you guys so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right. What happened did, to Matt? I don't know where Matt went. Yeah. <laughs> well, that I was guess. fun. That was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, uh, uh, do we want to wait a minute to see if Matt comes back? Yeah. 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 We can. Um, All right. What are we going to, what are we going to fill the answer, time with? We can answer the mailbag question okay. that we got. And that's how we can finish. Wasn't, wasn't the mailbag question, Matt asking you about barbecue sauce. <laughs> that was one of them. We can do oh, that okay. one next week. We'll, we'll have a whole uh, Thanksgiving episode together where uh, we can, we can just talk about whatever. Okay. Uh, this comes from, this comes from cousin Greg though. Cousin Greg. Shocking. Shocking. I know he, our, our number one mailbag guy. Yeah. I love the sponsor it. of uh, the mailbag. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The sponsor of the mailbag. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> he said, he said, what actor would play you in a movie? about your life larry david easy done <laughs> i i pretty yes. much am larry david already so it, he yes. wouldn't even he wouldn't have to act yep. yes. 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 
Uh, so good. Uh, mine, I thought also was relatively easy. Uh, it, it could be Adam Sandler if I wanted to go for the comedy, uh, but it also could be Vin Diesel since like when I was in college on the baseball team, they used to call me mini Vinny and yeah, that I, I, don't I like know, those. I like those. Seems like, yeah. Yeah. Those are good. Pretty easy. Yeah. Matthew. Um, Matthew? I'm, I'm going to say Jonah Hill. I don't know. I mean, I'm not as funny as him, but <laughs> Jonah Hill. Okay. Uh, I'm just, I'm going with body type there. <laughs> I'm the old Jonah Hill there. Not new Jonah. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, the 2012 super bad model, Jonah Hill. Yeah. Yo, but you, you also have very similar personalities. Like I, I, Jonah Hill in, um, forgetting Sarah Marshall is so fucking funny the way like I'm not saying you're awkward but like I could definitely see you just being like yeah Yo, you want to listen to my mixtape like come on. like check it out like, <laughs> you're my biggest fan like you are you are like that like you're so passionate about things that that you would be like oh my god uh Elvis Snow or whatever yeah it's Elvis Snow uh is uh Russell Brand in, in the movie and he's like you're my biggest fan like can you just listen to my mixtape Oh, I just went from uh, six to 12 pretty quickly there. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so many good one-liners uh, from that movie. <laughs> but, that's a pretty good one. Yeah. And yeah. a great question, cousin Greg, he always, he always has good ones for us. So keep them coming. Yeah. Yeah, Love for it. sure. Love for it. sure. All right, boys. Well, uh, we, we did it again and uh, we'll definitely have to get Gabrielle back on. Oh uh, yeah. So good. And I call. also, when my internet's not being shitty, I'm going to argue with her more because I disagree uh, a decent amount. So I'm going to argue with her next <laughs> yeah, time she's were, on. You were suspiciously quiet. Well, because my internet was garbage. It kept freezing up on my end and I was like, I'm afraid to even fucking say anything because I know as soon as I start talking, it's going to freeze. Uh, that's a convenient excuse. <laughs> but also she just, she just, she just had a lot to say and she kept going. It was awesome. She is so knowledgeable i wanted to just let her have the floor well, but yeah she, i she disagree have... on managers for sure with her um and i disagree so on aaron saying... boone i disagree on aaron boone with all of you um but yeah and alex cora and just managers in general i'm going to talk about this more next week we're going to talk <laughs> about managers next week because i have a lot to say I, this is a running thing we're we're never going to solve this we're just going to keep arguing about managers <laughs> like every two weeks for the rest of our lives let the hatred um, flow through you but uh um, Yes, and also, so what good, I want good. to know from Gabrielle, we'll ask her next time. Uh, I want to know what she thinks about the pace of play uh, stuff, and and whether she thinks that's a big issue or not. But okay. we'll save that so for Matt, next time. Matt, what do you topic. what do you think about this? I think we need to set up an episode where you and I sit back with some popcorn and some really good beer, and we just let those two go back and forth. Oh, that would be great. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah. And just give us like give us like the uh, part of the interruption, not part of the interruption. The um, oh shoot, what was the other one? Give us the the buzzers, the the, the mute buttons and the oh, clap uh, buttons around the and horn, the bell buttons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Around the horn. Yeah. There we go. Yep, yep. Yeah, Ethan, yeah, you yeah. do a good Woody. Oh, good, a good Woody. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, from uh, uh, um, from horn. around the horn. And, I forgot and, it. Yeah, yeah. Gabrielle could do Jen. Uh, Jen McMullen. Okay. Jackie, I, I haven't Jackie. seen it in so long. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. Jackie. Jackie is always like probably the most intelligent smartest sounding person on that show yeah and she's a boston woman too that's so. what i mean yeah it's oh, like funny. She's, she's good yeah nice. absolutely all right so we got something to look forward to and yep. next week next week it's just the three of us so uh we'll do we'll do something special for thanksgiving we got to talk offline about uh when we're going to actually do it because we might need to record a little bit earlier but uh just the three of us next week and uh boys we did it again anything you want to say before we go happy birthday benjamin if you're still listening and uh hang in there uncle jeff Yes. Yes. Hang in there, Uncle Jeff. I'll 100%. add to that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uncle Jeff, we're thinking of you. Yep. Absolutely. 
All right, boys. We'll see you later. Yep. Goodbye. Adios. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.